Rhode Island. This is your station, your music, the world famous WXIN. Providence, Rhode Island, USA. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Stadium Experience with your host, Jake Elms. It's a show where we talk about the latest and greatest happenings in the world of sports here on 90.7 WXIN. I am alone here today. Later on in the day, though, we'll, it'll be time to do your job with Joe Bagoot. He'll be joining us at about 4.30. But anyway, with that, we have Bruins season starting up, Red Sox playoffs starting up. we got a lot to talk about with the Patriots. Even Celtics preseason is going on right now. And if you want to chime in and talk about any of these topics, don't be afraid to call in at 401-456-9946 or at 401-456-8787. Anyway, you're listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN. And with all that out of the way, we're going to dive right in. So, this should be an exciting time around uh, these parts right now. Bruins start tomorrow. Red Sox have their first playoff game tomorrow. Football season is already a month in, and in under two weeks, the Celtics' regular season starts. A preseason started, but I'll try to make that seem important later, but for now, we'll ignore it. But still, all four major sports are going to be going at the same time very soon. You know, pending that the Red Sox don't completely blow it, but that's another thing for later in the program, for when we're with Job. And we should be happy, but like many people around here, I'm having a hard time being happy because, well... England trying to avoid their second home loss of the season. Gano. It is good, and Carolina it's a road win in New England. <sighs> oh, the Patriots. For the first time since 2014 are 2-2. Two and two. No, actually, last year they were 2-2, two and two too, now that I think about it. But for the first time with Tom Brady since 2014, the Patriots are 2-2. Two and two, Which, obviously, if... You don't, if you aspire for your team to be anything other than mediocre or average, this is not ideal. Not ideal at all. And God, Sunday's game against the Panthers was frustrating as all hell. I felt like everything, we saw everything that we, that at least I did. I saw Dave Cusack was with me. I don't know where he is right now, but we saw everything that we don't like about this team right now. The defense again was terrible. It was absolutely awful. They couldn't get off the field on third down. They couldn't get a stop. They couldn't stop Cam Newton and running up the middle. There were blown coverages everywhere. And now, in three of the past four games, the Patriots have given up 33-plus points. Which is the first time in the Belichick era that this team has given up 33 points in a game more than once. And they've done it three times in the first month. Which... You know, even if you don't, you're not a stat guy out there, you're not some nerd listening to the numbers, those are some bad numbers. And even if you hate numbers, the eye test 
also shows that this defense has obviously been putrid. Which obviously is not not a whole lot of fun when you're watching the team just like just let big chunk play after big chunk play with seemingly no effort going into stopping them. And yeah, it's frustrating. This defense is only getting thinner. Also, Hightower was back. He played okay, but Alandon Roberts went down. And, yeah. And listen, the pass rush, honestly, as, as frustrating as, you know, some missed tackles or missed sacks on Cam Newton were, the pass rush was kind of there. I'll say that. The pass rush wasn't awful. The pass rush was definitely not the worst we've seen. It definitely was better than it was last week against Houston. But this week, it was the secondary that was blowing it. The secondary, the one part of this defense that I've been saying that we should feel confident about going throughout the season, the one part that I'm saying that, hey, you know, the secondary will be good. Hopefully, if they can get it together, they can make up for some of the shortcomings of the other parts of this defense. Obviously. Wrong. The secondary played very badly. In particular... And, you know, as much as this has been the low-hanging fruit all week, the low-hanging fruit of radio shows, media, everything, the playoff, Stefan Gilmore was not up to par. And it, I want to hold off on getting into that for a little bit. I want to get into the real meat of that later when it's time to do your Job with Job Gudrid. But the defense played so bad. And once again, that stat I said about, about how they've given up 33-plus points in every game, the best quarterback they've played in that stretch was the only one that they didn't give up 33 points to. As odd as that is, the only team that they didn't give up 33 points to was the Saints, who only scored 20 on them. Who had, you know, the best quarterback of any team that they've played so far. They, Drew Brees is better than Alex Smith, even though Alex Smith looks like the freaking MVP of the league right now. Better than Alex Smith, Cam Newton, and Deshaun Watson, but... Uh, who cares? I at least they won that game. But, and that was the only game where the defenses looked good. Why well, I felt good watching the defense play, but this week, last week, it's been frustrating. Just from top to bottom. And by the way, the defense isn't the only thing wrong with this team. I'll get into the other things that are wrong with this team in a little bit. I'm not going to only criticize the defense. I have a lot of other things I'd love to criticize. I was kind of in a weird way, being the mass kiss that I am. I was kind of licking my chops watching this game because it meant that, oh boy, got a lot to talk about today. I don't even need the other three sports to be going on right now. I can just talk about the Patriots and the way their defense has been playing for two hours and be perfectly fine. But... Gladly, or maybe not, don't have to do that, but yeah, this, this wasn't good. This really just was not a good looking game from the defense. And once again, we'll get back to it. Guys who underperformed. Stefan Gilmore, the $60 million man, was not good in this game at all. How many blow and there was some 
and you know there are there were so many blown coverages, and you know some of them you can attribute to other players. Some you can say, oh well, actually Eric Rowe blew that coverage, or oh well McCourty actually blew that one, or Chung blew that one. But seemingly every time there was a blown coverage, Stefan Gilmore was somewhere near it, and Stefan Gilmore was double teaming or was covering somebody else with someone else. So you know he was around every single one. I think it's pretty safe to say that. More times than not, those were probably on him. Those were probably him going after the wrong guy. Or him not communicating and not switching on to his own man. Or not getting somebody else to switch on to his man. And, yeah, this isn't good because honestly, through the first four games of the season, looking back through the first month now, because we're a quarter of the way through the season, first quarter of the season, Stefan Gilmore does not look good. Has not looked good. Week one, obviously, the whole defense didn't look good. The whole team didn't look good. The entire team seemed unmotivated. So I'm not going to harp on any specific player because the entire team looked bad against the Chiefs. But still, Stefan Gilmore also didn't look good. Against the Saints, the defense played their best game. But even then, you brought in Stefan Gilmore to cover guys like Michael Thomas, I assume. Stefan Gilmore is here to, to be a guy who can help you match up against those bigger receivers like your Michael Thomases, like your DeAndre Hopkins, like your Kelvin Benjamin, and funny enough, you played all three of those guys the last three weeks, and seemingly, he couldn't do a whole lot. Yeah, against the Saints, was on Michael Thomas most of the game. Michael Thomas had 89 yards. Against the Texans. Okay, DeAndre Hopkins was only held to about 76 yards, but... He still was making plays when they needed them. And that team was still able to put up 30 points on you. No, excuse me, 33 points on you. And then... This week against the Panthers, who both of their receivers are gigantic. Kevin, Kelvin Benjamin, Devin Funches, both big-bodied wide receivers... This team as a total, and this is not only on Stefan Gilmore, but this team as a total couldn't do a thing about that. But once again, you look at Stefan Gilmore, you brought him in. I assume, well, the beauty of having him here alongside Malcolm Butler is that Stefan Gilmore can conceivably match up with those big receivers, your Kelvin Benjamins, your Michael Thomases, your DeAndre Hopkins, your bigger bodied, you know, jump ball Des Bryant type guys better than... Malcolm Butler can, who's better suited to cover your Odell's, your Antonio Brown's. But seemingly, he hasn't really shown the ability to do that. Because obviously, he hasn't really covered anybody very well. And once again, I don't want to just harp on him. Because Stefan Gilmore is not the only reason that this defense has been bad. If Stefan Gilmore is playing at peak Stefan Gilmore, this defense wouldn't suddenly be better. This suddenly wouldn't be the worst defense in the NFL. But... And by the way, it's been the worst defense in the NFL. By the way, number one in points allowed, the opposite way, not the good way, the bad way where you're letting up too many points. But yeah, so if Stephen McGillman was playing at his peak, it's not to say that this defense would suddenly be good, but still... If you can't trust him in these games, you know, how do you feel about Stefan Gilmore matching up on Julio Jones? Or Stefan Gilmore matching up on, I don't know, Jordy Nelson? Or... I don't know, a Des Bryant on some of these bigger guys you're going to be seeing in the playoffs. 
Or how do you feel about the DeAndre Hopkins or the guys you'll see in the AFC playoffs? And that's concerning because right now, based on the terms of his contract, because, you know, it's a four-year, $6 million deal, $60 million deal, but obviously none of these deals are actually intended to be carried out to their full term. So Stefan Gilmore... You know, he's only guaranteed, I don't know exactly how much, but he's only guaranteed for the first two or three years. Because that's just the way these deals are built in the N- in the NBA in the NBA. In the NFL, they're not built like they are in the NBA, where most of the money, almost all of it, is guaranteed. But this year, Stefan Gilmore is making $23 million, which, you know, is an annoying accounting thing. But yeah, this year Stefan Gilmore is making $23 million. So he's making. million per game. So he's already made $5,750,000 to this point in game checks. Which is really frustrating when you've seen the way that he played, especially yesterday. Which, at first, I don't know, I didn't want to put a lot of the blame on Stefan Gilmore for Sunday. But the more you looked at it, the more of it really was him. The more of it really just was Stefan Gilmore effing up, and it's frustrating. And there was a one drive where a lot of it fell on Eric Rowe, too. He had bad spots. Malcolm Butler didn't have a good game. Malcolm Butler probably had the best game of all the corners, maybe the best game of all the players in the secondary. But Malcolm Butler sure certainly had the best game. But even him, he was giving up. He gave up a touchdown to Devin Funches. He was giving up some pretty big plays to Devin Funches. Malcolm Butler also almost had, I believe, the fourth quarter interception that probably would have turned the game around, but it got knocked out by Devin Funches. But you, you expect Malcolm Butler's going to struggle with those bigger receivers. And I don't know, not a lot of the teams or really any of the teams that I'm particularly worried about really have a lot of big-bodied wide receivers. So you have Stefan Gilmore with the hope that when you go up against a team that has one, he can handle that, and obviously has been able to. And once again, Malcolm Butler was getting bodied by Devin Funches for a lot of that game. Devin Funches had an excellent game. Devin, Funches, who's a bum, by the way, who has not been a good player up to this point in the up to this point, but was able to have seventy yards and two touchdowns last night, or last night, bleh, Sunday afternoon, which. Yeah, Devin Funches, able to have 70 yards, two touchdowns. Kelvin Benjamin, 104 yards on four receptions with a couple of dumb blown coverages on him. Fozzie Whitaker, the Muppet, had that 30, was it 30 yard touchdown where he just had nothing in front of him and just had 30 yards of clear space on the left side of the field in front of him. Cam Newton was able to rush for 44 yards and runch for a touchdown. Right up the middle, which, you know, obviously that goes more to the secondary. But once again, we'll get into that. But, yeah, not at this point so far in the season. The only good thing I've been taking away from this team consistently has been Tom Brady and his cast of pass catchers have been playing well up to this point. And when I have Job on, we'll talk about, you know, the particulars. We'll, it'll be time to do your Job. We'll talk about the specific plays, what we like. But Tom Brady in the offense, specifically his skill position players, because I have some misgivings about the O-line, have played well up to this point. Brady had 307 yards, two touchdowns, and Brady was able to... 
and going into the fourth quarter, they were down by 16. I mean, down by 16. Down by 14, and Brady was able to lead them the two touchdown drives. And then left the Panthers, I don't know, what? A minute and a half? And then all they had to do, all the defense needed to do was one stop. All the defense had to do was get one stop, and then they could give the ball back to Tom and all them, either with a little bit of time and some timeouts so they could march down the field, or just send a game to overtime, but point is just stop them from scoring a game winner. Is all they had to do, and they couldn't do it. And a part of that, you know, does come down to Stefan Gilmore, who obviously third and I think it was six, third and seven, third and eight, third and long, or third and medium. The Panthers in their own territory, you basically would have had, the Panthers basically would have been punting from their own end zone at that point. And Dietrich Wise burst through the middle. Dietrich Wise, who has been a bright spot on this team, by the way, through the early parts of the season on this defense. Dietrich Wise burst through the line and... Yeah, gets a sack on Cam Newton, one of the first sacks of the day. And supposedly at least... Seals the Patriots having about a minute and a half and all their timeouts, or most of their timeouts, to march down the field and hopefully score. But apparently not, because Stefan Gilmore, who, by the way, I don't I'm not gonna argue about whether or not this was a good or a bad call, but still, Stefan Gilmore for the second time, for a second drive prolonging, got a second drive prolonging hands of the face penalty called on him that yeah prolong that drive for the Panthers so and obviously the Panthers just marched down the field after that and it was game over as we heard our good friend Joe Buck call for us but It's frustrating with this guy because supposedly all the people out from Buffalo, all the Buffalo fans, all my Buffalo fan friends are telling me that they're not surprised by this, that supposedly the M.O. always on Stefan Gilmore was that he was inconsistent, that, you know, he was a guy who didn't always give 100%, which, yeah, we saw in some games against the Patriots. By the way, in the... Last year's game against Patriots, I believe it was in Buffalo, people were just circulating this photo of just him chasing down Chris Hogan and then stopping shy of the end zone, not trying to tackle him and just yelling at his teammates. Like, we've seen we've seen this guy as New England fans mess up, but we all hoped that, you know, okay, A, oh, Bill sees something in him, and he's a good fit. And by the way, I liked the signing a lot at the time. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I was telling you guys, oh, Stephon Gilmore. No, I was ecstatic. I thought as long as they kept Malcolm Butler, that this was a great signing. I thought that I loved the way he fit onto this defense and what he would, the things he would give them the ability to do that, you know, supposedly they weren't able to do before. But seemingly they can't not do anything that they were able to do last year when they had the number one defense in the NFL. Scoring-wise, at least. But, yeah. You begin to question now... What do they do with this guy going forward? What do they do with the whole defense going forward? Because obviously, once again, Stefan Gilmore is a low-hanging fruit. He's the John Farrell, you know. He's the John Farrell, you know, mid-game pitching decision. 
reliever decision of this team. He's a low-hanging fruit. But, you know, there's a reason that people are harping on him. And those reasons are pretty good. But, yeah. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break here. And then when we come back, it'll be time to do your Job with Job Gudrid, writer for RealSports101.com. Joins us every week to discuss the Patriots and whatever else he wants to talk about. He'll be joining us and we're going to get into what the pay- what happened in this game. What the Patriots can do moving forward. A couple of other now retrospective criticisms I might have of the offseason for this team. And... Just what they're going to do against Tampa Bay on the short week, by the way. So, you know, remember, they have about three days. They have one. They play tomorrow. They're flying down there today in their fancy new plane, and they don't have a lot of time to, you know, figure out what they're going to do now. So, anyway, though, when we come back, we'll be discussing all those things. You're listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN. If you want to call in, chime in, talk about any of these things, don't be afraid to call in at 401-456-9946. And... Talk about whatever whatever is bothering you. Anyway, though, we will take a quick break and we will be right back after. experience jake elmsley 90.7 wxin it's halfway through the four o'clock hour we've been talking a lot of patriots we're going to keep talking patriots because as it is every time it's 4 30 right now so now it's time to do your job with job gudrid of real sports 101.com how you doing job i'm good how you doing jake uh been better but you know we all have yeah so uh, tough game to watch yeah yeah, we will say that. Uh, I don't know if you've been listening, but I was just talking about a lot about. And I'm trying not to harp on this because, you know, obviously it's kind of the low hanging fruit this week. But just on the performance of Stefan Gilmore. Sunday against Panthers. And I just I mean, do you think it's just the low hanging fruit and that there are bigger issues with this team? Or do you think that it's, you know, the same? It's actually on the level that people are kind of making it out to be around here. Uh, I think a little bit of both. I think that costly penalty in the, in the uh, fourth quarter is going to really mean that he's under the microscope this week um, for that, for his play in the game. Gilmore wasn't really, uh, as far as I'm concerned, a uh, big issue throughout the game. He had two penalties that were costly, and that's the only, um, the only thing that really worries me about him. As he said, uh, I, I pulled up a quote, um, something about how, he couldn't have done anything else. And that that bothers me because he could have played it cleanly. He could have just played better defense, and we would have, yeah. we would have won the game. I never saw that quote because that's a weird quote because on the last play, I mean, on the second one, I don't know about the first one, but that's a we- is that an actual quote? He said he didn't feel like he could do anything else because the second one of those, the one that was in the fourth quarter when the Panthers won their last drive, that penalty had nothing to do with the play. Was it, I mean, Dietrich Wise sacked Cam Newton basically as soon as he snapped the ball. Him putting his hands on Kelvin Benjamin's face had nothing to do with that. Is that an actual quote by him? That, that I never even heard that. That's concerning. If he's saying that, I'm, uh, I'm looking. I'm looking for it right now. I had it pulled up earlier. Um, that was very concerning to me because because that the fact that he said I couldn't have played it any any better was 
that scared. second that second penalty had nothing to do with it. Like, I mean, it had to do with him. I'm saying him committing that penalty or not had nothing to do with that play getting off. That penalty was completely away from the play, which, you know, once again, I don't think that the penalties were eh. I think they were kind of mad calls. I don't think they were good calls. So I'm not gonna, I'm not harping on him so much for those. But I, his play was not good in this game. There were a lot of blown coverages in this game from him. A lot of the time, um, there were a lot of blown coverages, and I saw some of it. You know, with uh, both Gilmore and Rowe got exposed. Rowe also um, had a bad game, but I will say, looking back, a lot of the thi- a lot of the coverages that I was criticizing Rowe for, kind of seemed to be Gilmore. Like the big, wide-open catch by Kelvin Benjamin, I believe, in the third quarter. Yeah. Him and You saw him and Rowe both follow, I believe it was McCaffrey, or whoever their slot yeah. receiver is. Might have been Dickerson, their tight end. But uh, both think, of them... I think it was McCaffrey. Yeah, him and Rowe both followed him inside. And when you saw the replay of that, you're like, okay, one, one of them blew a cover. Obviously, both of them were not supposed to be there. And... My knee-jerk at the time was to blame Roe because Roe had been having a bad drive up until that point. But thinking about it, no, that was on Gilmore because McCaffrey was obviously playing in the slot and Gilmore's the outside corner for this team. He's one of the outside corners. So if him and Roe both follow a guy who's running around in the slot and there's a guy who's wide open on the outside, like that was... Most likely Gilmore's man, unless on that play specifically, they suddenly decided to flip Eric Rowe on the Kelvin Benjamin, which, you know, I can't imagine they would do. So um, so I'm actually watching that play over and over again as we discuss it. I have it open here. They both follow him across the formation. Exactly. Um, and if I was a betting... they follow across the formation. Yeah, and if I was a betting man... Open. And if I was a betting man, I'd say that it was probably Rowe who was supposed to be on McCaffrey and... Gilmore wasn't, and we saw a lot of this was just miscommunication in this game, and we saw that also specifically a lot in week one. The Tyreek Hill touchdown seemingly was all miscommunication, and that was another guy who was, you know, kind of in Gilmore's vicinity who was just wide open, and... Obviously, we know there's always a learning curve with players trying to pick up this defense, but, and I know, like, you know, when Revis came here, he struggled for a little bit. He wasn't wasn't playing the way he started the year playing at the beginning of the season, but even he wasn't playing like this, and it seems like the learning curve is really steep with Gilmore up to this point, and it's concerning, you know four weeks into the season because if he can't communicate with these guys now, if he can't understand the scheme now, how good of a job, how easy is it going to be for them to teach him to pick it up in the middle of the season or do they bench him or do they have to just change the scheme to suit, you know, his limited understanding of it? Well, I'm looking at it right now and, you know, he got exposed on multiple plays. He got exposed on the touchdown two plays after the Kelvin Benjamin uh, 43-yard gain. And it's scary to watch because our defense is by no means good with the exception of uh, Dietrich Wise's uh, play in this game. I didn't think that our defense was all that good. Um, I, You and I have discussed it. I mean, I don't think the defense is good anyway. No, I don't think anybody um, thinks that. I'll, I'll say that I, I think, think that the front set, that the pass rush was better this week than it was last week. 
But I, I agree, and you know, containing Cam Newton is uh, is a big part of that. But the secondary, but, which is a part of this defense that we both talked a lot about and said that we feel very confident about the secondary, has not really looked good at all this season. Or the secondary, they've been falling apart. Really looked little, bad and, uh, today. They looked really bad Sunday on uh, on Sunday. There were a few plays where they just blew coverages and left guys wide open. But even when they when there wasn't, you know, when it wasn't a clear mistake. They were still allowing guys to get four or five yards downfield after contact. Yeah, the tackling um, was wasn't great either. You're right. Specifically down the down the right sideline in the third quarter, where they stopped McCaffrey about five yards shy. They made contact, and he got a first down. Um, that can't happen if we want to be a winning team. No, they weren't able and to contain that at, yak. Yeah, and I look at I look at you know the division. Our division is not very good. It's one of the worst divisions in football. The Bills are, are winning our division right now. Our three, and the Jets somehow have strung together two wins. We can get into that in a few minutes, but I want to stick to this game right now and stick to the defense right now. But, yeah, you're looking at it, and it just doesn't seem like Gilmore has much of a clue. And... I don't know. Once again, you know, I don't want to harp on him because, you know, if Gilmore was playing to the peak of his ability, this defense wouldn't suddenly be good. So I don't want to act like this is all on Gilmore because everybody's been playing like crap, really. But, yeah, it seemed this week he didn't know what he was doing. He just looked lost a lot of the time. And it becomes concerning because when he's because when the Patriots signed this guy, it wasn't a Patriots type signing. You know, it really they w- wasn't, and it was out of it was out of character by Belichick to go and do this. And to go, you know, go to get a former first round pick, a high first round pick, a guy that's underperformed up to this point, but a really talented guy who's had effort, you know, guys be concerned with his effort. And once again, I was completely for the signing when they made it. I love the way he fit on this team on paper. So I'm not gonna sit here and harp on it because at the time I thought it was a great signing, but yeah, now we're starting to see after an uncharacteristic signing, after kind of an uncharacteristic offseason, he's not playing well. He's playing like an underperforming first-round pick. Well, you know, we, we discussed the 16-0 and talk at the beginning of the season and uh, how good we thought this team was going to be now that Brady has all these weapons. It's not going to matter how good Brady is, and he was fantastic in this game, if we can't stop defenses. Um, Matt Patricia is going to have a lot of work on his hands to try to try to put together a decent game because the Patriots have given up 32 points a game so far this yeah. season, and we can't have that if we're going to win. No, and um, we went from a number three defense in the league to last place in defense in the league, and that can't happen if we're going to win anything. No, and you get to it, and who do you, what do you blame on this? Do you blame Belichick's scheme? Do you blame Patricia's play calling? Do you just blame the execution by the guys on the field? Because if you ask me, in this game, it comes down to execution, I think. I don't think the scheme was bad, but players just weren't executing this week. But long-term, what, do you, what, what needs to change? Just if any one of those three... Well, I think... I, I heard some, some mutterings this week about a potential trade of Jimmy Garoppolo for defense. Yeah, and that's, an, and, that, and that's another subject I want to get into in just a minute, but just... What's the factor on, like, what's the big problem with this defense right now? Uh, the big problem with this defense is they can't stop anybody in the secondary. Uh, you know, Patrick Chung is one of the more talented Patriots players on defense, and he's been getting lit up. 
and the same with Gilmore. He, on paper, should be a great fit for this team, should slide into that, that number one slot and cover the big, the, the big, strong receiver for the other team. You know, that number one threat should be negated by, by Gilmore. Yeah. It seems like he doesn't know what's going on. So No, and you kind of start to worry like that he's not. Defense, the defense needs to make a change, and I don't know if it's a personnel change at this point in the season. I feel like there might be a little bit of a panic move. Um, but let me give you a hypothetical here. Let me, let me ask you a question. What – what would we be talking about right now if we lost the game to the Texans and Brady didn't put together a great fourth quarter comeback? Or if they had We'd just be talking about okay, well, let me bring it out though. What would we be talking about if the comeback had happened and Deshaun Watson just bombed it down the field a couple of times and DeAndre Hopkins was just wide open and they scored? I say that's the more relevant hypothetical. I feel like we'd still be talking about this defense. Um, yeah, I had a couple. I had a couple thoughts that I thought were positive in this game, um, but the majority of it, I was thinking this defense is terrible. What are we going to do with this defense? Especially when they there were several times they just left guys open downfield, and Cam Newton didn't necessarily hit those guys um, in the open field, but there were some guys left open, you know, ten, twenty yards downfield on crossing routes and deep post routes that really scared me when I look at it because if you watch the game and you're not focused on the, the number one receiver that gets the football when he throws the football, there are other options that are open too. It's not necessarily only one open receiver every time um, that he makes a completed pass. Sometimes there's two or three guys who are wide open because of a miscommunication on defense. And I don't want to say that maybe Belichick needs to change the scheme because I don't think he's changed the scheme for anybody. Uh, over the course of the last five years, um, even Darrell Rivas just kind of had to learn to fit the scheme. But maybe we just don't have the talent this year where Belichick's scheme is going to work, and maybe we just have to simplify it. And that's what I'm kind of starting to lean towards. I mean, what do you do now? You have Stefan Gilmore, who's coming from a system in Buffalo that was way simpler, way simpler than this. And he played, played for Rex Ryan the last two years. And now that's a scheme where you play a lot of man, where yeah, basically the corners and the sec- guys in the secondary are playing man most of the game and are just following you know one particular player. Yeah, you start to wonder. Yeah, I, mean, look, I mean, if he's really not, have to do that. but if he's really not picking up the scheme, yeah, and unless you want to bench him and I don't know throw Jonathan Jones out there. That's a scary thought. Yeah, what do you do? I mean, at that, you know, do you start to ask, you know, do we just have to simplify the scheme? Do we just have to, you know, especially on a short week, and I don't want to get too much into what the plan for this week will be yet, but, yeah, on a short week where they have to play tomorrow, and obviously you're not going to iron anything out. Yeah, what, tomorrow night? I mean, do you just tell Gilmore, hey, just follow Mike Evans the whole game, and we'll figure everything out around you, and we'll play a more simplified scheme, which most most teams play a simplified scheme on one side of the ball in Thursday night games, but, yeah, is that the option? Like, we'll just have to play some predictable scheme and just hope that it works and just hope that they don't, that this, you know, a legit offense because both the last two weeks going into the games, both of us said on the, you know, said on this show, oh yeah, this is a get right game for the offense. I mean, for the defense. Oh, Houston, they got a rookie quarterback. This is a get right game for the defense. And guess what? He lights them up and now he's on a roll right now scoring five touchdowns on Sunday. And then the Panthers coming in, who, what, hadn't scored 10 points in two of their games? 
they were the they were the worst offensive team coming into the league in terms of first downs and yardage. Exactly, and um, then so we all and, and we they all went up for three hundred yards. Yeah, and we all went. Yeah, oh, this is another get right game for the Patriots. And Cam Newton's playing like MVP Cam Newton, and now you're playing a legit offense in the Buccaneers. So, yeah, I mean, do you simplify the scheme? Is that the solution, at least for the short term? Do you simplify I the scheme? I feel sc- like in the short term, that's what we're going to have to do. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see a little less of Gilmore in this game, or if you do see Gilmore simply following Mike Evans, trying to shut down one man. Yeah, and then... And if see Matt Patricia maybe, you know, throws less zone coverage out there and a little bit more man-to-man against uh, the Buccaneers, which wouldn't surprise me. Uh, they're a talented offensive team with multiple weapons, and they have a legit quarterback. Um, this game worries me a little bit, mainly because it's on a on a Thursday night. Yeah, it's a short, um, and this was and, a you know this was a spot on the schedule that before the season I circled and went like, hey, like get, before I saw the team played, I went, hey, games they're gonna lose, games they could potentially lose, you know, Thursday night against the Buccaneers, that's in Tampa, that's a tricky, that's a tricky thing. And you know, I I think it is tricky. I think we have. We have a chance in this game to maybe shut them down if we can, if we can play the way that that this team might be capable of playing. I'm not even sure if they're capable of it. I can't see. see you know, I can't. I, I can't just see the team turning around defensively and suddenly playing good. You know, at least on a short week. I don't know. Like I could see them going out and maybe using a more effective scheme, but they're not going to be able to iron out the communication issues in the plane. They're not. It's just. I. I don't know. I would hope, but Tampa's humming right now on offense. Uh, they are, and you know the one thing that I really think. And they're getting Doug Martin back this defense, week too. That's another. They are getting Doug Martin back, who's another offensive threat. Um, coming off of, I believe, it was a suspension. Yeah, and this um, is this is a good team. Tampa Bay is a very multi-dimensional offense. Jameis Winston, when he's on, is a very good. Is a great. Is a very good quarterback. They have Mike Evans, Deshaun Jackson, OJ Howard, Cameron Brait. Adam Humphreys. They have, like, a, they have a strong. They have a strong offense. Um, the one thing that really gives me confidence that maybe this maybe this team will turn around is the, the reemergence of Dante Hightower. Now that he looks healthy, um, he's a real captain on the team on defense, and maybe he can you know be a voice there and be like, listen, this is how we're going to do it. And maybe he he'll even you know change up some coverages because the ability of Dante Hightower to get to the quarterback uh, changes the way that teams play. On offense, a lot more short passes, a lot less holding the ball, um, and you know, hopefully, that allows us to do some things on defense that we weren't allowed to do for the first four games, or weren't able to do for the first four games because he wasn't healthy. Um, but I had a couple takeaways from the defense on the positive side. One of which was Dietrich Wise. Yeah, who, Dietrich. Even w- without that last sack, he looked he looked really good in this game. Yeah, the pressure um, was better. The pressure was better in this game. Overall, the pressure was better. I mean, we had some sacks, and we knew that Dante Hightower coming back was going to do that. Yeah, but um, was going to improve that. But I was I was impressed with the play, especially Dietrich Wise on the edge, uh, getting to Cam Newton. Mm-hmm. I thought Trey Flowers had a good game. Trey Flowers did have a good game, and you know what? Overall, this was a this was a game where I went, okay, the holes aren't really the defensive seven anymore. Um, the defensive front seven don't look as bad as I thought they were. Not as bad as. They were the first two games that we discussed it. No, even Cassius um, Marsh looked decent in this game. Exactly. There were there wasn't really a hole where I went, okay, they can run it straight at him 
or throw throw right over the middle because there's no pressure. I thought it was pretty good. It was really the secondary that just couldn't get it together. Falling apart, just couldn't couldn't get it together. They couldn't communicate. There were missed routes um, on offense that still led to still led to good plays. You know where receivers just kind of ran seam ran down the seam because they saw an opening uh, led to the 43 yard touchdown or not even touchdown but 43 yard gain when Gilmore ran across the side of the field they both covered the same receiver so yeah I don't know just, what do you what do you what do you think about the defensive front seven in particular. I mean, like I said, I mean the front. I mean, obviously, I've been harping on the front seven a lot. The front seven looked decent in this game. They didn't look great, but they didn't look championship defense caliber. But they looked better in this game against Cam Newton. I mean, they, Cam Newton still finished with about forty something rushing yards, but I, I wasn't getting as viscerally upset as I was against Deshaun Watson when he was just when they were just letting him run free half the game. So, I mean, I felt better about it, but overall, still the defense just is not gelling. And you bring up this point about Dante Hightower being able to get them together, but. You saw some plays in this game where just Devin McCourty, who's another guy like that, was another leader, another guy who knows how to recognize things. He was he would be trying to put Gilmore in spots, and he was just looked so panicked about it. Like you like you saw certain games where Devin McCourty was like yelling at him, and then just didn't just seem to just be irritated by this guy, and just didn't. So see- I don't know if you saw. I don't know if you saw the, the uh, at the end of the second quarter uh, before halftime. Matt Patricia got in Gilmore's face on the sideline. I mean, how can you not? Um, he blew three coverages and, in the first half. And he blew three more coverages in the second half. He doesn't seem to have it together. I don't know if it's maybe he doesn't understand the scheme. Maybe he just doesn't understand, you know. I know he knows how to play the position. He's a high first-round pick, mid-first-round pick. Doesn't, he just, He's been underperforming, but... He doesn't seem to know how to cover bunch needs, formations, for one thing. Maybe he just needs a simplified, a simplified assignment. You know, maybe that we run a uh, a, co- a, co- a cover zone with just you know him run, and a man. Just run cover two every play. Like I, I get it, but it's just that that won't cut it down the road. But it's just like the guy doesn't seem like he knows how to cover a bunch formation. A lot of the time, if you would stat guys, he wouldn't seem to know which one to follow. It just, I they got to figure something out, especially on a short week, which just sucks. It sucks that they have to put up with that this week because this is bad for them. But I guess on the other hand, at least I'll have the extra time. You know, at least I'll have ten days after the yeah. Fact, you know, you know hopefully right, next week. Maybe if they can, if they get the time, they can maybe sort it out over that. If maybe they can have a decent game. But yeah, God, I don't want to see them have to suddenly go to Jonathan Jones because I feel like Gilmore has talent and he has a lot of ability and he has the potential to play a role that would really benefit this team down the stretch. But I really wouldn't be shocked. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if maybe not in this game, but if he has a bad game tonight, I wouldn't be shocked to see him playing uh, next week. Um, see Jonathan Jones playing next week. Yeah, I just. Um, ugh. Bill Belichick will shake it up if we if we go two and three, the first five games of the season. Uh, I think we'll see some shakeups. I'd have to and agree with you, but I, I, there were some positives in this game. I had I had some positive points that I took away from. Yeah, it. I mean, Brady looked amazing again. Brady looked amazing again. Uh, Danny Amendola looked like Mr. Reliable again. Yeah. Especially in that game-tying drive in the fourth quarter, uh, where even when he got lit up by, uh, I think it was James Bradbury, if I'm correct, uh, he still held on. Yep. Uh, Dante Hightower looked good. Rob Gronkowski looked good. Yeah, Gronk uh, had another good game. The OPI. No, that was a uh, big he had one. He that one OPI call, but other than that, he had a really good game. 
Yeah, and but then another thing was I feel like they're still not establishing the running game, which oh, it it really is bothering me. I mean, we did we did see a lot of James White receptions in this game. Yeah, but uh, just, which I was happy with. But I'm talking about the a ground game though. Like Gillisley would have they can't run it up the middle. They don't have that Legarrette Blunt presence that we thought Mike Gillingsley was going to bring them, especially after week one. When he no, and listen, he had some good plays. He averaged 4.1 yards per carry, which is good. And maybe it's a matter of not committing to the running game, or maybe it had to do with them getting getting down in the scoreboard early in the game. But it would be really good for this team, you know, Thursday night, if they could come out first drive and then just establish the run. Because, you know, I hate to get into old-timey football cliches, but if they can run the ball effectively, obviously that – just keeps the defense off the field, honestly. Keeps the defense off the field, and it keeps the ball out of Jameis Winston's hands because. And that's kind of you know, that would be huge for them if they could just literally just shorten the freaking game. They could just come I out. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if you see a lot of uh, a lot of James White in this game. I don't think that they'll they'll really go to Mike Gillingsley on the ground because the front se- our offensive line doesn't look strong enough to really counteract the front seven of a good team. No, and that's uh, and that's the next look point. Like they can push and create holes. Our no. offensive line is okay. They're not great. But, I don't think that they can really create a hole and whether But even no the, hole, but I don't know that they have guys right in that O-line who have proven to be pretty effective run blockers. Shaq Mason is a great run blocker. It just feels like they haven't committed to that enough. You know, and I don't know if that's maybe just their their changing of personnel. I mean, they use a running a running back system where they have three different running backs who are getting the football, and maybe that's just because these guys can't get their groove. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's if that's down to the fact that these these running backs aren't getting the reps in game to really create a presence. Well, that's my point. I mean, they had seventeen. They had they changed the running back. No, and they had seventeen running rushing attempts in this game overall. Between Gillisley, Deion Lewis, and James White, they had 17 rushing attempts, which that's not going to cut it. You know, if they want to keep the defense off the field, if they want to lengthen drives, that would be a solution. Would be just go well, out. I, I agree, and I would be sh- I would be shocked if you don't see a little bit more James White and Deion Lewis in this game, and a little bit less Mike Gillingsley because he doesn't seem to be able to run it up the middle. You see, I think uh, Mike Gillingsley is their best goal. option there, though. I I agree, but he doesn't. They don't. They don't seem to have the ability to really create that hole, and I think that. You know, we've discussed this, how we think that Deion Lewis is a great side-to-side guy, but yeah. not a great downhill guy. Yeah, but listen, um, I mean, I think that they have the personnel to make, even if it's not the O-line, you can bring in James Devlin, who's a great player for the team, or bring in Dwayne Allen, who's supposedly a really good blocker. That's his MO, that he's a great blocker, and, you know, he's just dropping passes left and right, but if he's this good blocker, bring him in. You know, run out of the eye. Just run some... Bigger formations actually try to run the ball a little bit more, you know. I would really like to see that. I feel like if we establish the running game, especially tomorrow in a short week, uh, we allow not only Brady to get some rest and not get hit as much because I think that that's oh, that's also a huge thing. Absolutely, Um, we haven't even got to that point where we we haven't even discussed Brady getting hit consistently. Yeah, oh, we can talk about that Um, in a minute. But getting rid of the football faster. It's not always an option, you know. A lot, no. of these, a lot of these corners are really good, and they're taking away receiving options from Brady. He's holding the ball. If we ran some running plays, then maybe the play-action game would work better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not only can we get rid of the ball, but we can get downfield faster. Because I feel like a lot of the time that Brady's throwing the football, he's having to fit it in these really, really yeah. tight windows because the coverage is good because they don't have to worry about the run. Or they don't have to stack the box. Yeah, and because they Tampa's, know corners, the Tampa's corners are no joke. 
either. No, not at all. They're, they're really good corners. Brett Grimes, Vernon Hargraves, those are two good corners. Our receivers are going to be, you know, hard-pressed to find really good gaps if they're running their routes because, you know, Brady's not getting to hold the ball from 40 seconds. We don't have that kind of offensive line. And unfortunately, we don't have a running game so far this season that really threatens yeah, listen, to it'll be bring guys into the box. So great if they could just come out and just have a couple of six, seven-minute drives in this game. I agree. And you know what would be even better would be if those, if those drives come spearheaded by a Mike Gillingsley run up the middle every time. Exactly. Or a Dion Lewis side-to-side uh, -side run. Stretch run or something, yeah. No, anything. Just running. Just run. I just think that they need to run the ball a little bit more in this game. They just, that I would, agree, and that, that's not anything against Brady. This is more of a, you know. No, just balancing the team a little Brady. bit. Preserve and keep the defense off the field, honestly. That's the big That's the big issue, and we. I know we're harping on this defense, but at this point in the season, we're 2-2, two and two and we have a, there's a, Significant chance. I hate to say it that we uh, go two and three, um, and lose this game on uh, this game tomorrow night. Yeah, it's not so. It's not impossible to see. Up and it wouldn't be surprising that they shake up the offense a little bit because if they were to start running the football and run different plays on offense, I wouldn't be all that shocked because everybody on the offense seems to be on the same page. Uh, they might react a little bit better to a change on a short week in the scheme than uh, the defense would be. Yeah, I don't. I mean, they have a lot of things that they can look at doing in this game. But also, not to completely harp on the defense, because something you were touching on a minute ago, but actually, I'll get into this in a minute. But you see, and you start to wonder, is it maybe a talent issue with the defense? Because obviously Belichick went out. He added a lot of talent to this team in the offseason, but one big thing he didn't do was, big thing that obviously a lot of people were talking about, all of us were talking about, Jimmy Garoppolo was not moved in the offseason, and now you're looking at, you know, the dearth of talent on the defense, and you start to wonder, you know, maybe was that not the best idea? Could if you could have traded Garoppolo have netted you picks that maybe you could have used on defensive players or traded for other teams' defensive players? And you start to wonder if maybe that was something Belichick could have done because with Brady, look, and I, and it's completely logical for Belichick to have kept Garoppolo. I'm not gonna say it was a wrong decision yet, because obviously it's a long-term move, and we haven't seen the implications of it. But it's obvious, you know, obvious logic that oh, well, we don't know how Brady will be playing at 40, but up to this point, Brady's looked pretty damn good. So Brady's looked vintage in, in the last four weeks, and you start um, to wonder, as, good as I can ever remember seeing him, and you start to wonder, you know, like oh, maybe he's n not kidding about this playing the 40 thing. Maybe we don't need to have, you know, a succession plan behind him, which, by the way, I don't really care one way or another if they have a succession plan because, I don't know, I want to milk this Brady era for everything that it's worth. So, yeah, you start to wonder if maybe trading Garoppolo in the offseason might have been able to net you, you know, some assets that could have helped you get the kind of talent that would be helping this team right now. Uh, you know, I look at it, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him move this season. Uh, well, I, I, I feel like you're not going to be able to sell as high as you were. You're not going to be able to get what you got uh, for him. Absolutely no uh, no shot will you, will you be able to sell as high. But there are teams, you know, Marcus Mariota went out this week. Um, Jay Cutler's not doing a good job in the Wildcat offense that the Dolphins are playing. There are teams that need quarterbacks. But it's not like those teams really have anything to offer you at this point that will fix the problems right now. I mean, what, what do you want, Cameron Wake? From the Dolphins, or do you want like you know 
Brian Arakbo? Do you want Logan Ryan back? Like, that's the issue. It looks at it now. It's not that I'm saying that I should trade Garoppolo now because I, I mean, what do you trade into the Browns and get Jamie Collins back? Like, it's tough. No, I agree. There aren't really, there aren't really, you know, players out there who seem like they'll be able to. At least there's not, there's not a trade right now that you can make, you know? It's not like you're going to... And then that begins to beg the question of something else that's kind of you can start to look at in retrospect and start to wonder, you know, Belichick has let a lot of defensive talent leave or he's gotten rid of it himself over the last two years. Obviously, you know, they traded Chandler Jones. They've traded Jamie Collins. Logan Ryan's left. Oh, by the way, I'm not a big Logan Ryan guy, but whatever, he matches into that. Logan Ryan's left. Jabal Sheard has been playing great with the Colts. Oh, he's, he's, been, been fantastic. he's been one of the top pass rushers, at least by advanced metrics, so far this year. Not, I'm not going to say that I was crying about Jabal Sheard when he left. I didn't care, but still, he's another pass rusher who they let leave. And, yeah, they've lost a lot of young talent on defense over the last couple of years. And now you're looking at it, and not to panic, but you start to wonder if maybe that wasn't the best thing. You know, maybe if they had kept... And plus, especially with the Chandler Jones trade, what did they get from that? They got Jonathan Cooper, who they cut, and a second-round pick that turned into Cyrus Jones. No, oh, yeah, I, I agree. They didn't they didn't make a good deal there, but unfortunately, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and it's the it's part of the you know in Bill we trust doctrine is that. Right, but you just you see the a lot of defensive talent has left the last couple of years, and now they have kind of a dearth of talent on defense. So it's fair to kind of start to question some of these moves, and you know, not even that. Some of the defensive you know selections they've made the last couple of years in the draft to kind of bring up that next generation of young talent haven't been so great either. Dominique Easley, you know, where's he right now? Malcolm Brown's been pretty good, but yeah. Jordan Richards has not been anything. Cyrus Jones, I thought he should have been. Don't even get me started on. I thought he should have been cut. So, yeah, they didn't have any picks this year. They had Derek Rivers, who's out, and they only had four draft picks. And yeah, you're starting to wonder if maybe this team has a little bit of a youth problem on defense. Maybe they have a little. They're kind of lacking in youth because you know, going back two, three years ago, you were like, oh man, the Patriots are set. For the next couple of years on defense, they got Dante Hightower, Chandler Jones, Jamie Collins, Malcolm Butler. Like, they looked set, and now half those guys are gone, and one of them's underperforming. Well, one of the one of those guys that you didn't mention uh, was Logan Ryan. I didn't hear his name in there. Um, sure, Logan Ryan. I feel like we could have we brought somebody in who's not Stephon Gilmore to really fill that role um, as, a, as a, you know, a cover guy. Um, I don't know if maybe this is trying to milk the Brady era for so much that they've kind of overlooked the defense too much, um, and they're focused mainly on building an offense and bringing in Brandon Cooks, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's a little bit worrying. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little bit worried about you know how he's been building a defensive team, but I believe that Bill Belichick and Matt Patricia should be able to put something together at some point this season. And maybe piece together a decent team. And I, I have full confidence that we will win the division. I think if there are some games that we're going to lose, it's going to be tonight, and it's going to be at the Steelers. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to win the rest of the games. I mean, look, I wouldn't be surprised either, but it's just this team has a lot of problems. And, yeah, no, I'm just starting to wonder if maybe they have a little bit of a youth 
problem on defense. Because obviously they have some young guys in there, but Alandon Roberts has been okay. He played a great game a couple weeks ago, but he got hurt this week. Um, Van Noy, like, you see the guys that they've kind of replaced these guys that they let go with, and they're not... You know, living up to it a little bit. But then another thing on the ball is that, you know, we've been harping on the defense a lot, but another thing that hasn't looked good, and maybe this goes to our run game comments earlier, is that the O-line has not looked good to this point this year. They've had the continuity. It's the same group of guys from last year for the most part. Marcus Cannon's finally back. But, yeah, the O-line hasn't looked good this year. And, you know, this weekend they were making, you know, Julius Peppers look like 10 years ago Julius Peppers. Yeah, he looked like he was 27 and not 37 um, when he was trying to get to Tom Brady, and he did manage to put some pressure on Brady. And that's one thing I've been worried about is this O-line hasn't been able to protect Brady, and I understand that we've been playing good defense, good defenses that are, you know, the Texans were one of the best defenses in the league. Yeah, listen, I guess. Quarterback. Yeah, and I look at that game, and I'm like, okay, fine. Like, that, you guys get it on that, but then, yeah, the Panthers, once again, Julius Peppers, sorry. You don't get a pass for letting Julius Peppers sack Brady twice, you know. No, I agree. And you know what? And then, and even the when they play, hasn't been able to open up any gaps on on the run game, and they haven't been able to protect Brady. What really have they done for us except be not terrible? Yeah, Which and then also point, you think about that. And to go on that, also against the Saints, who have a very bad defense, which apparently isn't worse than the Patriots, but also have a terrible defense. Even Cam Jordan was getting to Brady a ton. Brady was even getting kind of beat up in that game a decent amount, even when they were winning. So You know, it's, it's a scary thought. But unfortunately, it seems to be the case uh, that we simply can't control, you know, the, the game enough where we can keep Brady healthy. Uh, it's a little bit scary to me because throwing for 400 yards a game isn't really an option uh, for Tom Brady at 40 years old. No, I, I don't but wait, that that Joe. Happen. That's a very good way to put it, though. They have. They've really lost their ability, at least up to this point. That's a great way to put it, to control games. They can't control the line of scrimmage on offense, so they have to throw the ball every other down. They can't really stop anybody, so they can't control the clock at all. Right? They can't run the ball because of their own line, so they're not able to control the clock. And they're just, they have to keep putting up points to match the opponent. And it rests solely on Tom Brady's shoulders. Exactly. And, every and, and single and game. Core. And, you know, five years ago, I would have said, okay, putting it all on Tom Brady at 35. Well, even then, though, I wouldn't say that because that's just, that's not a winning formula. That's never a winning formula. And you're right. They don't have the ability right now to control games. And kind of, you know, kind of a moment in the game that kind of reeked of that to me. A moment in the game that kind of reeked of it to me was the end of the second half. You saw them. They went out. There was about, I don't know, what was there, 40 seconds left? And they won their own 25 on their own 30. And usually at that point, the Patriots, and really most NFL teams in general, will just kind of pack it in, go in for the half. But then they started driving with really no time left, and they managed to get into field goal range and got uh, into, well, what now is their field goal range, and Gostowski hit. That was a, that was a fantastic kick. Uh, yeah, no, and Gostowski, I don't want to take that away that Gostowski hit, you know, his career long, but even then, didn't that entire sequence kind of reek of desperation in a way? Like, we need to get these, like, like we need... It reeked a little bit of desperation, but at the time, I'm going to be honest, I was thinking, finally, here we go, we're going to get, you know, some of our mojo back, we're going to drive down the field, go into the half, 
You see, I didn't. One point, not four, and come out, and maybe we'll be the team again. You see, I wasn't. We'll see that offensive line from now on, and we didn't. Uh, I didn't feel that way when they were doing it, though. I mean, in the end, they managed to get kind of in the range, but I didn't feel that way during that. I felt like it felt uncharacteristic of this team. It felt like they were felt like the game was out of control, and they had to take you know every second that they could take to score and. It just felt weird to me. It didn't feel like that was a Patriots thing to do, you know? It felt like they were like, It really no. didn't, but a lot of things that we've done in the last two weeks don't seem like typically Patriot things, uh, and that, that goes that's down to the talent. I mean, the standard that we've set for the defense is not terrible. Like, that's, that's the, the bar. Like, the bar if they give up 25 points, tomorrow we'll be impressed, which is sad. Oh. I would, I would be extremely impressed because I feel like they're probably going to give up 35, maybe even 40 points on a short week against a really good offense. And I'm worried because I feel like, you know, there, there comes a point where we can no longer, you know, see if these guys can fit the system. And it worries me that we're four weeks in and we have almost no positives to take away from this game that aren't, Tom Brady. Tom Brady related. And his receiving core. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. So, Joe, before we move on away from the Patriots a little bit, because obviously I've been talking about the Patriots for the first over an hour of the show. You, right now, what's your what, – what were our predictions last week? Do you remember? Because I don't remember. I'm at the check before. Uh, I do not. They were wrong. I'm sure that they were wrong. They were they were wrong by a lot. Um, I, had the, I, I know I had the Patriots winning this game, and I had the Patriots winning this game in a dominant fashion because I thought the offense for the, uh, the Panthers was not good. Yeah. Uh, turns out that our defense turned that offense into uh, Yeah, the know, Patriots' defense is becoming – is the Patriots' defense is kind of becoming a get-right game for other offenses, which is – And that's a scary thought. Yeah, anyway, so I don't know. Before we move on to some Red Sox stuff, what do you – what's your prediction for this game? What are you going to predict it? Uh, 35-32 Buccaneers. I hate to do this, but I think the Buccaneers win tomorrow. Yeah, no, you stole my thunder. I'm going 40-35 Buccaneers. It, it's, it's scary, and I really don't like to do it. But unfortunately, I think on a short week, Stephon Gilmore and the holes in that secondary just kind of expose us a little too much. No, and I agree with you. I mean, I make the same call, and I'll just go higher just because I want to say that they'll score higher than 33. I'll go 40, yeah, I'll do it. 40-35 Buccaneers. I think the Patriots to keep pace with them, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, how e- you know, all it takes is one little slip-up by Gilmore, some miscommunication, suddenly Deshaun Jackson is wide open. And then... It, it's It's scary. It's, yeah. it's really worrying. So, really worry yeah, for the first time this year, neither of us are picking the Patriots. To win today. You know what? And I, I hope we're wrong again. We've been wrong. Yeah, we've been wrong every time. We continue to be wrong. So, yeah. Hopefully we continue to be wrong. Mark it. 40-35 for me. 35-32 for you. Anyway. Moving on. To, I guess, more positives. That'll make negatives. But. Yeah. Tomorrow. Not tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow, actually. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. The Red Sox start their ALDS playoff series. What's up, B-Love? I didn't hear me. Anyway, start their ALDS series. No, before we even get into that, what a game yesterday between the Yankees and the Twins. That was a fantastic game. That was one of the best baseball games I've watched all year. 
Not exaggerating. That was... And it's a little bit scary to me that we think this is really giving me the thought that now these games are now so much less important, you know, until September. It's a little bit scary to think. The Patriot. I mean, it's amazing that the, that the Yankees' bullpen was basically able to play that whole game. Well, you know, that seems to have been the model in the last couple of years. It's been built by mainly by uh, Tito Francona over in Cleveland. Is you know, if you could get your offense to give you a couple runs, and you can get your starter through the fifth inning, you know, the bullpen takes it from there. The Yankees' bullpen is one of the best bullpens in baseball, if not the best in baseball. Uh, so it didn't really shock me to see him play it that way. Uh, but what are, your, what are your thoughts on that game? I mean, I'm, I'm never not going to be impressed when a team gets down 3-0 in the first inning and then their bullpen comes in. And we're being joined by uh, Bancraft Love, host of the Night Train, friend of the show. Hello, we love. How are you? I'm good. How's everything? Uh, you know, been better in New England sports land, but I'm just waiting for the Red Sox to get get going. Yeah, no, and but anyway, like I was saying about the Yankees, mm-hmm. I'm always gonna be impressed when a team has when their bullpen plays eight and two thirds innings and wins them that game and only gives up one run in eight and two thirds. David Robertson last week, who was a player who I didn't want the Red Sox to trade for, really? Yeah, bad moves. I but, did. Yeah, I did. You did. You did. David Robertson had five strikeouts. And gave up three hits and three and one-thirds innings. I didn't like his signing at all. No, I didn't because like Because he was too old. Yeah. He was giving up too many runs. Yeah. And they could have gotten better for him. With yeah. A, with better signing than him. Yeah, but they were able to do it. But, and then you, yeah, and that was just an impressive game. And I don't know, I just wanted to gush about that game because it was super impressive. And, yeah, the Yankees are looking as dangerous as ever. Now, mind you, I don't think they're going to take on the Indians. I think the Indians are the best team in the MLB right now. But... Now we have the Red Sox coming in for the ALDS against the Astros. And, I mean, Job, Elov, what are your thoughts and concerns going into this series? What was their record during the uh, regular season for uh, against the Astros? Against the Astros? Uh-huh. I don't have those exact numbers, I'm going to be honest. If I had them, they'd be skewed okay. by... The final for series. The last four games. Yeah, when no team was no, trying. When no one was really playing for anything. Right, okay. but just, yeah, you but know, just, scratch you know, sale. abstract concepts. So, you know, what concerns you and what, because, okay, one thing that concerns me with the Astros is the Red Sox traditionally mm-hmm. have been, and this especially concerns me going into game one, the Red Sox have been owned by Justin Verlander through his Ooh, entire career. Yeah. It's a scary thought to not have David Ortiz in the heart of that lineup up against Justin Verlander. No, and here's uh, a st- lie. And a stat I read the other day is that Dustin Pedroia and Hanley are something like combined three for forty against Justin Verlander all time. So that's a guy it's, who it's really scary. And Verlander is one of the best, I think, one of the best pitchers that was moved at the deadline and that's still playing. I mean. He might not have the dominant, you know, upper 90s fastball that he used to, um, but he's one of the smartest pitchers available, and he can really throw the throw the ball, and he's made a big difference to this Astros team. He makes them a lot more dangerous. Yeah, and like, you know, say that they go in game one, Chris Sale going to the mound, you hope that that's a shoe and win, but say they can't win that game, and then they're down 0-1 because of Justin Verlander, and then... You know, what? what's the mentality now? What changes for the team? Because they haven't announced their game three starter 
if it's going to be Fister or Erod. Seemingly, I don't know what you think about this, Joe, but I don't know what you think about this, E-Love, but mm. seemingly David Price is out of the picture as a starter. They never really gave him anything other than two innings, so I can't imagine you can throw him out for five or six. So seemingly he's out, but, I mean, what do they do? Say they go in game one and Verlander's able to just take them out. I actually wouldn't be surprised if you see David Price come out for game three. Um, I really wouldn't. I know that he's only been pitching two or three innings uh, per appearance, but I saw something from Jerry Carabas um, this week about how he's their best option. You know, in a in a in a big in a big moment, which scares me a little bit because the big moment pitcher should be Chris Sale. Yeah, uh, I know he said he said you know it's what I'm here for was the quote from Chris Sale about this game and about how he's been waiting for it for 23 years because he's 28 years old and he's ready. Yeah, for this. and listen, I mean, you don't want to hate on the guy because you don't want to say, oh, well, he doesn't know how to play in the playoffs because he's never done it. So you don't want to get on the guy because obviously no, he's just never done it. But another guy who's been a very who's been a great pitcher who's never pitched in the playoffs, people didn't want to give him too much crap for, was Luis Severino, who... What happened last night with him? His first playoff appearance. You know, it's it's a scary thing. It happens to guys. That it, could, that it could happen, that he could go out there tomorrow and be terrible. Uh, but I doubt it. Uh, no, and I doubt it too. But I would. Best, but I doubted this pitcher in baseball, as far as I'm concerned. And I feel like he pitches for the big moments. You know, he he's a really good big moment pitcher. What what scares me is the fact that every time he seems to take the mound, our offense takes a night off. And if our offense takes a night off when he goes up against uh, the Astros tomorrow, mm-hmm. then maybe when they have you know game two and game three, they don't really have that groove that they really need in order mm-hmm. to. You know, push forward to the ALCS if they could get through this series. Yeah, and I, I, I would honestly be afraid to put David Price because one of the big strengths of this team right now has become the bullpen, and that's in part due to David Price's performance. And I, I would just, I would kind of hate to take him out of that role and weaken the bullpen for the chance that he can start because I just, I feel like he can't do it either. I feel like right now he's just not far enough along where he could start, especially not even considering the playoffs. I wish that they would have given him maybe a four inning just appearance just to stretch him out, but they haven't got him. So right now, if you put him out for four innings, I would be stretching him. You know, I think that he can pop maybe be a long reliever, say that something goes wrong with Erod or with Doug Fister or something, but I would be afraid to put David Price out for game three. But after that, all your options are also kind of, you know, different variations of dog crap. Yeah, they're all different variations of bad. The thing that I look at is all these teams who seem to be successful in the playoffs in the last few years, going back to when Kansas City won it the first time mm-hmm. uh, they made it the World Series. Is these big bullpens? You know, bullpens yeah. seem to be the new the new way to win baseball games. Is get your starter through the sixth, mm-hmm. and then have your bullpen take it from there. I would not be surprised. Yeah, listen, if they can, Chris Sale pitch eight. Yeah, and listen. Have a fresh bullpen for the rest of the series. Yeah, listen. Game three, if you can go into game three though, and maybe you put Fister or Erod out there, and they can just go three or four innings, and then the formula for that at that point might be, and that's a good point. Chris Sale can go eight, especially, but maybe then three, four innings from Fister, Porcello, Erod, then you can just you know everybody. When it comes to that point, I don't want to say that it's like a game five situation, but these Astros are very, very good. No, they are. Um, and if and if, if we if we let them get back into it, say we go into game three and we're up two nothing and we have a chance to close it out and they win that game, as far as I'm concerned, game four is a must win game. No, and that's what I'm saying, um, but if you can go, you into, go into game four with everybody available. 
No, but I'm uh, saying the just, the formula might be game three though. You put out one of these guys and just try to put in as much bull. Try get get three and then just bring out Price for two or three. Bring out Carson, Carson Smith. Smith. Bring out Reed. Bring out like that's the game where you really rely on your bullpen and then maybe hope that you can bring in Chris Sale for game four. Almost that might be another option. That that honestly would not surprise me. Would be to run a uh, you know kind of a by committee game in game three if we have exactly. a 2 lead yep. with the expectation that Chris Sale will give the I don't even care if you have a 2 nothing lead. Four. If the series is split, I think you still do that because I think that gives you the best chance really? to win. Yeah. Um, the Red Sox uh, record the Red Sox record um, against the Astros is 27 to 16 this year. That means they have a 62.8 winning percentage. That's good, but the Astros have gotten hot lately. The Astros have been playing like one of the best teams in baseball the last couple of weeks. They have absolutely been on fire. But and to that point, Joe, but yeah, I just think that doing that by committee thing is just if you think that Chris Sale can play on three games rest, I think that's just your best option. You don't want to leave Fister out there for six innings. God, if you can get three good innings out of Porcello, I think you just take that and run with it at that I point. I agree. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you see, you know, a combination of Porcello and Fister in that game. I wouldn't be surprised to see two from Fister and two from Porcello and then go on to David Price and beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, to secure the victory and get a couple days off because I think that, you know, this Indians-Yankees series mm-hmm. is going to be longer than people think. Okay. I don't think it goes three games. I think the Yankees' bullpen is fantastic, as they proved yesterday. And I, I think their offense, their offense is, is better They've than heated back up. For. They have everybody has heated. People give them credit for. And I know that Corey Kruber is going to shut them down. I have, no, I have no doubt about that because he's one of the best pitchers in baseball, too. But... I think they can win a couple games. I think maybe one or two games is not something to overlook. The Yankees are, are a good team, and they're capable of winning a game against the against these Indians, even if it is a throwaway game and they lose the series anyway. Yeah, and listen, and another and an interesting thing that's about to shoot that comes into this matchup that kind of scares the hell out of me is that the Astros have been one of the worst teams at throwing at throwing players out. At base, they've been one of the worst teams about stopping runners from stealing, from all that, gaining extra bases. They've been one of the worst teams statistically. And Job, Elove, that scares me a lot because I'm really afraid. <laughs> I'd, rather be more. I'd rather them be the opposite. I'd rather them be the best team in baseball so we don't run. It's because I'm afraid that John Farrell's sitting there now licking his chops going, oh, oh boy, oh boy, Brock Holt. You're, you're gonna, <laughs> we're going to steal home every, yeah. every play. Oh. There, he is, there he is. There he is thinking, oh, now I have an excuse. And I, when I make a mistake, I can back it up. And I'm afraid. Say, oh, but. Well, no, 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 no. I And another part of me almost hopes that he does take that approach and that they fail at it so that then they really learn to stop doing it. You know what? I wouldn't be surprised if, if John Farrell's not the manager of this team next season. And that's that's another conversation. That if we lose this series, you think so? so? I wouldn't be surprised to see him to see him call it a little bit more conservative than he has been in the regular season. Mm-hmm. Um, simply because. See, I don't. I, I don't get the impression that he's job, and I think he knows he's on the hot seat. I don't know about that. I mean, what do you think about that, Elov? I mean, do, how far do you think John Farrell would have to go right now for you to feel confident about his job security? He has to go to the World Series again. You think? Yeah. You think really? Oh, yeah, definitely. He has to go to the Royal Series again. He cannot fail um, at the, uh, the ALDS. Mm-hmm. He has to go to the World Series. That's it. 
cut and dry. I. You think he's gone if, if he doesn't make it to the World Series? Yep, I think so. I mean, you, you, I, I think it's the ALCS is the line. Okay. Yeah, I have to say the same thing. Or at least, even if they have a good performance in the ALDS, maybe it's just because at this point it's have Stockholm syndrome. Not not Stockholm syndrome, but I'm just I'm just feel like it's futile to picture John Farrell getting fired at this point. I don't know. I mean, I guess it happened with Claude Julian eventually, but I just I if they come out in you know and they shit the bed in the ALCS and they look terrible, then yeah, I mean the ALDS, then yeah, I think he's gone. But I, I don't know if they bring it to five and they lose because, you know, Craig Kimbrell blows a save or something. Like, I, I don't know. I can't say for sure that he's gone. And I don't know. And I, don't, I, would, I, would, I would really hope that he And I don't want that to be the case. Another coach. I don't, um, me neither. I'd really rather we win the World Series. But exactly. If, if, we lose, if we lose, you know, early in the postseason and it looks like we're being, you know, just outplayed or even outcoached, which is something that Terry Francona has done to John Farrell every time we've played against the Indians. It uh, just looks like he's manhandling John Farrell. Um, then I wouldn't be surprised to see him gone. I would really love to think that, but I just, I don't know. But anyway, uh, before we let you go, Job, what's your prediction for this series? Uh, I think the Red Sox win it in four games. I think Chris Sale goes eight innings tomorrow and uh, shuts down the Astros' offense. And I think the only game that we really struggle to win is uh, is going to be Game Three, uh, no matter who goes out there, because I think behind behind the uh, Pomerantz and, and Sale, we don't really have a third guy. Okay, and Elove, how do you think the series goes? What are your predictions? I think the, it's going to come down to the fifth game. The fifth game, and who do you think takes it? Um, Red Sox. Red- the Red Sox have, is a little stronger. Like like I said, they're um they're uh. Their regular season, they went 20, uh, 27 and 16. Mm-hmm. That's a 62.8. Yep, they've been playing good against the Astros. Yep. Exactly. So I, I see I see it going um, game five, and okay. Red Sox takes it. Astros in four. Really? Okay. Yeah. Josh Percy. Josh Percy has joined us, by the way. Uh, as a huge Boston Red Sox fan, I think that they could win this series. You are wearing your, your Bogart shirt yes. right now. Mm-hmm. However, okay. as much as I love the Boston Red Sox, Something that the Yankees proved very well last night is that Severino, their ace, first time in the playoffs, came on in, one out. One out. Now, granted, that was probably Joe Girardi thinking, you know what, let me get him out of here now. Mm -hmm. My bullpen will be good, and you know what? Severino can start game two. Yeah, and it, but okay. does, it doesn't, no, it doesn't, it doesn't change the fact that right. he gave up yes. exactly. three home, two home runs. Yes, yep. yes. So my point exactly is that Chris Sale has never been playoff tested. Yep, I agree. So I brought that same thought I am up. a little bit worried about him, mm-hmm. but he's facing off Furlander, who hasn't had great success in the playoffs. Furlander has had the Red Sox number his whole career. Though. However, exactly. But we can go all the way back to the game five of the 2006. Uh, 2013 uh, AL Championship Game Five Verlander mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. Lackey, mm-hmm. and it w- and all it took was one hit, a two run shot well, by Mike a, Napoli to win that, that game. That's, that's all. That's, it takes one hit. Now the thing is, is that the Boston Red Sox offense last year disappeared mm-hmm. after having a tremendous uh, regular season. And they have not had a tremendous yes. regular season. So, does that mean that maybe their bats come alive in the playoffs? This team is built to win the World Series. I, I'm not sure about that. But anyway, uh, we got, no, we let, got, me, hey, let me finish. Let me finish get, my okay, reasoning Finish your here. thought that we got to get to the end of the segment. You, then you have Dallas Keuchel going in Game 2. 
Okay. He's been a little off this year, mm-hmm. but he has he he was injured to start the year, so he didn't have a great start to the year. However, it's still the defending. And when he's he's a Cy Young candidate if he pitches all year. Absolutely. So you have two Cy Young candidates going um, till you know the end. They have two Cy Young starters going. Uh, at the beginning of their rotation. And I think that uh, Houston's rotation is better than Boston's because uh, Chris Sale and Justin you don't Verlander. Feel, you don't want to throw up after you get when you start trying to think of who the third starter exactly. is. Exactly. Because when you go with the Astros, I'm pretty sure their third starter is going to be uh, Lance McCullers. I sure. believe so. Makes sense. Which yep. is better than. Which is better than. Doug Fister, Drew yes. Pomerantz, Rick Porcello. Not I'm yeah. sorry, Grotto Rodriguez. Anyway, so you say Astros in four. Yes. I say Astros in five because I think the Red Sox have a pretty decent plan to get there. But John Farrell is going to screw it up by making like Brock Holt because he'll be playing Brock Holt instead of somebody good trying to steal home and he'll lose. But anyway, so I say Astros in five. Anyway, though, we have we have now it's, we're now done. We're now going to stop doing your Job. Uh, we've been joined by Job Gudrid of RealSports101.com, as we are every week. It's been good having you, Job. We'll have you back next week to discuss what goes on in this series and the Buccaneers game. So it's been good having you, Job. Thanks for having me. Thanks, guys. And we will have you back next week. Anyway, though, you listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley. I suddenly have a full house here with Josh Percy, Dave Cusack, and Elove. And I, I don't hope have I headphones, you- so I couldn't hear Job. Yeah, that's fine. That's why I was trying I to. Didn't, I didn't. I didn't know there was somebody on the phone. To be completely honest <laughs> with you, but that's why I was going like trying to get, put my fist up to you to try to get you to stop. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you're gonna be back for the top of the next segment. You're gonna be back. What's the top stuff. of the set next segment? Uh, we'll be coming back in just a minute. Just gonna do a quick break, and we're gonna talk some Celtics. Talk to Celtics preseason. All right, possibly, possibly. Um, I do. Did you uh, talk? Did you uh, talk about who you think's gonna win the World Series? Did you put place any predictions? There I before said the that series? the Indians are the best team in the league. Uh, I disagree. Okay, well, okay, fine, Josh. Give me your, get in 30 seconds or less, give me your World Series prediction. Uh, Astros versus the, oh, who did I say? I think I said uh, Astros versus Dodgers, and I have the Astros in six. I have basically the same thing, but Indians in six. Okay. Indians over the Dodgers. The only reason I didn't put the Nationals is because of Scherzer's injury. Because I hate, because I hate D.C. and I don't want to ever And I honestly, I think they're, they, they, I don't think they have the the correct offense and the pitching to win a World Series this year. And the Cubs, I think, have really underperformed. And I wouldn't be surprised if they got knocked out in the first round. However, I am picking Astros in six over the Dodgers. Okay, Josh is committing to this Astros thing. Anyway, you are listening to the Stadium Experience with Wait, wait, Jake. wait, wait, wait. What about my pick? Oh, yeah, sorry. Da- <laughs> sorry. David Elam, do you two also have World Series I'm predictions? Good. I'm going anti-Josh and saying the Cubs are going to repeat. All right. I like this That is my pick. Thing. I like this man's thinking. All right. Elo says he likes this man's thinking. We don't know what that means, but he likes the way he's thinking. I like like your synapses connecting. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway, you're listening to the Stadium Experience. Josh Percy, Dave Cusack, Elove. We'll be back in just a minute discussing the Celtics preseason. If you want to wait, you know, no, we don't need any callers right now. I have too many people in here already. Anyway, we'll be right back in just a minute. I'm in almost every school bus and classroom. I go to school with you.
Team Experience, Jake Elmsley, Josh Percy, Dave Cusack, E-Love. We're uh, paying a little bit of a tribute to the great Tom Petty right now who had a death than not death accident. Yeah, had a long, a bad thing happened to him. Yeah, bad thing happened to him. So anyway, though, we've been talking a lot of Patriots, a lot of Red Sox. I just finished up doing your job, and now we have uh, everybody in here right now, which is great, which is lovely. So... Yeah, so we've talked about the two Boston sports and not the not the Bruins yet, but I'll get to that also. But Celtics had their first preseason game, I believe, what was it Tuesday? Yes. Yes. Yes, the Celtics had their first no, preseason. No, it was Monday. No, Celtics had their first preseason game Monday against the Charlotte Hornets, winning with a score of 94 to 82. And I don't know if you guys really watch this game. I only really watch highlights from it. But there was a lot of good things to take away from this game. Hey, man, I'm an NBA head, and I really don't watch preseason. No, because really, preseason basketball means nothing. The kicker released a great thing where it said, what we learned from each thing's preseason game. And it said, from the Warriors, nothing. All I learned was that Daniel Theses is going to be a huge man off the bench. (laughs) Hey, Daniel Theses did lead the Celtics with 12 points in about 14 minutes, all which came in the second half. Also had seven rebounds, so maybe he's the solution to that rebounding issue. Yeah, uh, the tall uh, white dude's a solution uh, to the rebounding. Not even that tall. But yeah, the starting lineup for the Celtics, who played most of the first half, was Kyrie Irving, Jalen Brown played at the two, Gordon Hayward, Al Horford played at the four, which was interesting because a couple of weeks, about a week ago, he made some comments that he was comfortable playing the five, which I think is probably the better spot for him at this point. And then at the five starting was Aaron Baines, which also was in part due to Marcus Morris was apparently, which I didn't even know. Marcus. Yeah, he was in court. Yeah, he was in court. But he was found innocent on all charges of assault, him and his brother both. So he'll be rejoining the team to be rejoining the team soon. So conceivably, I don't feel like there's going to be any discipline from the NBA. So, And I still think that Marcus Morris is probably the starter at the four and Horford plays the five. But a Horford starting at the four kind of makes Christian. And Aaron Baines also had a game. Aaron Baines had 10 points. Five rebounds, three assists. He was really protecting the inside. And the reason that I like this Celtics team, and I know that Danny Ainge isn't set in starting any, like, key five, because if you go into a game and you feel like, all right, we don't really need to start Aaron Baines tonight, so let's throw a We Horford. don't need the size, let's, yep. Let's throw Horford and Morris out there. And then, oh, one night, oh, we have a pretty big guy that we got to defend. Let's throw Aaron Baines out there as a starter and move Horford to the four. Or maybe if we have to play small, we have multiple different options. The Cel- Danny Ainge has multiple different options that he can throw out there as a starting lineup. I feel like that four and five right there are going to be, you're going to see a consistent rotation of people starting. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that one of the things I really like about this team is the versatility they have offensively and defensively. Because you're right, they have a lot. I mean, they have the ability to go big. They can play guys like Baines with Horford. Mind you, they don't have ability to really go big because they have a bit of a lack of size in the team. But still, they have the ability to throw out a guy like Morris at the four when they're playing a smaller team, when they're playing, you know, the Cavs, and he's a good guy who's good at guarding LeBron. They have the ability, you know, when they want to go really turbo defensively, they can throw in Marcus Smart in the starting lineup somewhere. Which, which is why they got rid of Avery Bradley for him. I feel like. Um. Well, I don't think it was necessarily like a one for one. I feel like it was more of a like they needed the cap space. They needed the cap space. Which probably, I still like the Avery move. Bradley was gonna command too much money on the free free agent market that he was gonna walk. And Marcus anyways. Morris was a good get. Yeah, 
And he's under contract for two or three years? He's under contract for two years, making $5 million both years, which is good. And, and a lot of people don't like the move, and I, really, I actually like the move, because they needed that cap space immediately to sign Gordon Hayward also. So listen, and you're right, this is a team that has a lot of versatility. You have your, you have your core three guys in the starting lineup. I think what I would say is that while I may necessarily not like every move that they made, I like this team. I, I do like, too. I like the end result. I yeah. like the finished product. And listen, watching the, watching this team Monday night, it felt good. It felt like I wasn't watching, you know, Danny Amendola, the basketball team. It felt like I was I wasn't just watching, you know, the scrappening in mm. green. It felt like I was watching a real NBA team. It was great. It was like, you're like, wow, this guy can score off the dribble, and then this uh, other guy can score off the dribble, and then this other guy can, can hit a contested shot. And it's not just the same guy doing all that, and that guy's not 5'9". This is incredible. I know. I feel like this is an NBA team now. I don't have this weird, white, long-haired center just kind of stumbling around everywhere, looking like Gumby, like... I was so I was so high on Kelly Olynyk when they traded for him on draft night because that's exactly who I wanted the Celtics to draft. <laughs> but it just it felt good watching the Celtics, which I'm not saying I just I I like this team more. This team isn't I'm gonna say this team isn't frustrating to me. I don't feel like we're just watching a bunch of scrappy try hard guys playing and, and yeah, make got and legitimate make, players on this team. You do. And now a downside from the game was that Jason Tatum in 33 minutes went something like. Four for eleven. Jason Tatum was not efficient. Yeah, it's his actually, first no, game actually, ever. Kyrie in the NBA. went four for eleven from the field for nine points. Okay, what was that? It? Was that was Kyrie who went four? I want. I'm trying to pull up the box score. Then I can't seem to get the actual uh, shooting percentages. But uh, yeah. no, because I remember the four for eleven for nine points. Because I was like, "Hot, you can switch the four with the nine, huh?" Because <laughs> that's 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 ooh, yeah. the type of person I am. <laughs> you can you can you can switch you can switch a number around, but no, Jason Tatum still did not have an efficient night last night. But but a big plus though is that he was playing. He played thirty three. No, uh, Kyrie and um, Jason Tatum had similar had the same stats: four for eleven on nine points. Very similar. Fair enough. Fair enough. But still, just to see Jason Tatum play. Is huge because one of my big concerns going in and seeing J- Jalen Brown starting also to the same point is one of my big concerns going into the season is coming off of last season when it really felt like, especially out, out of the playoffs, that they would go through points when Brad Stevens just refused to play Jalen Brown. I very I was very afraid. And I still am afraid. Cause I'm not saying that preseason game completely changes that for me, but I just it's good to see that maybe Brad Stevens is going to be willing. To play Jason Tatum, who, by the way, is more NBA ready than Jalen Brown was coming out of college. It's been the thing with him, but still, it's just it's good to see that he might just be ready to or be willing to play yeah, Jason you, Tatum. You were saying, you know, about how Tatum was inefficient, and I know we're in the hot take business here, but this is his first game ever. No, in I'm not NBA worried. Uniform. I'm just I'm just bringing like, it up. Dave, I'm not trying to make it. I'm not a hot taker. I'm not trying to make a hot take about Tatum. I'm just saying that it was. I'm just acknowledging it. And then also acknowledging the positives. I'm glad he was able to play and be inefficient and play on a guy like Michael Kidd Gilchrist. I'm gl- Dave, I'm not in the hot take business, but I, anyway. You, you are in the hot take business, absolutely. This is what this is. This is what sports radio no, is no, in no. general. This is, the anal- this is the analysis business. I don't I no. never I never say anything that I don't actually believe on this show. 
That is a I will I never just come out and say something that I think is untrue just to get a reaction out of people. I might do that on other shows, but I do not do that on yeah, this show. But Skip and Stephen A are millionaires. <laughs> and they give hot takes all the time. And you know, I feel like they honestly believe most of them. Well, yeah, because they're crazy. Exactly. And that's fine. And I'm a little crazy too. But I never people accuse me of being a hot take artist. Just a little. I am not a hot take artist. I, I believe everything that I say. You're a little bit of a hot take. That's not a bad thing, but you're a little bit of That's a hot, a hot take artist. It, this, this is I'm exactly a hot take. A hot take. You're, a hot, you're taking a hot take on your you ability yeah. to take a hot take. I don't take hot takes. I just say what you're I believe. You're taking a hot take I on tell, yourself right no, now. No, I just tell it as it is. I tell you're it like a it hot is. Take. I take, just, the, the, you have such a hot take about Jake, it's not even funny. <laughs> your Jake takes a crap. Anyway, so you were saying, Dave. No, that's that was all. That was my point. No, oh, well, yeah, Tatum not efficient, but still not bad. It was just good to see, and even then, like this team looked deep, even like into the third, third string of guys, they were still playing well, and it's just, it just feels good to see Yabuselli. Yeah, I think I think their depth is going to be one of their strengths yeah. definitely this season, and I'm really excited about it because I I feel like you know in some of those games that. Don't really matter that much. You can take the pressure off of Kyrie Horf- and Horford. And exactly. And, and you have a lot of you know. young guys who can develop in the stuff. Semi Ojale was a second round pick this year. He's a guy who they're excited on. If he can develop, he's a guy who could give them some defensive versatility. Yabuselia obviously is over here. Rozier is another guy who can who kind of has the opportunity to develop into a secondary ball handler. Smart had a pretty good night last night. Smart obviously is an important guy. Apparently also Smart, which was an interesting thing to hear, which is good to hear, is that reportedly before the game, Smart just told told Brad Stevens that if you're debating if to start me or Jalen Brown, to start Jalen Brown, which obviously is great to hear because you could kind of see Smart just getting, I don't know why, but you get the vibe, you could see him getting mad about not starting. So to hear that he's totally willing and more than willing to embrace a bench role is gigantic. Also, he looked very slim. He's lost about 20 pounds. So he looked like he was in great shape during this game, which is good because he's a guy who, if he's willing to accept not scoring all the time, could look good. But yeah, Daniel Thesis, who's a guy who thought was a throwaway, he looked good. Nader, who's a guy who I'm very excited to see make the team. I'm very happy that Nader made the team. He was able to score 10 points in 11 minutes. So yeah, they have a lot of depth on his team and they have a lot of versatility at a lot of spots. You going to vote for him? What? You going to vote for him? Nader? Yeah. Is this is this a gag? I'm confused. I don't. Never mind. I think I understand. Ralph Nader. <laughs> yeah, that's oh. the joke I'm trying to oh. make. Nice, but yeah, I mean, I'm just excited to see him make the team. I'm excited to see Yabuselli make the team. I miss Zizek, but still, this team. While I still feel like they you could... miss Zizek, you didn't do anything. Yeah, well, he was a starter. There's, in my no- Pacers... there's nothing to miss. Yeah, well, he was a starter in my Pacers franchise. <gasps> Missing. This, I He's not like... out of 2K. He feel... still exists. <laughs> I feel like this team could use. <laughs> Another big man still, but seeing Baines, but seeing Baines play the way he did, kind of. I mean, I don't want to take too much from a preseason game, but with what we have in front of me, more it's enforced. Because I don't feel bad though. On the other hand, because I'm just feeling like what they already thought is enforced, what the team already thought about their roster is getting enforced to me. So yeah, I feel good about the Celtics. Now, getting into that, do we do way too early? NBA predictions. You see, what I want to do do for myself is, I because I if I'm trying to do a finals position uh, prediction, you have to say Cavs Warriors. Like there's there's no other take, so that's not interesting. Um, Conference championship game predictions is what I want to do. I think in the West, the two teams that 
can legitimately beat the Warriors would be either Houston or OKC. Yep. Right legitimately now. beat or compete? No, they could beat them. They could in a seven-game series. Depends. I'm not sold on OKC unless Melo's allowed to wear a hoodie. Paul George, Melo. Yeah. Nah. I don't have as big of a. Yeah. Are you I, saying I think that Melo's a little washed up? To be completely. Are you saying that Paul George can't take it, do it with uh, what's his name, the, the guard Westbrook. Westbrook? Westbrook. I think that those two would be similar to what we have with. Uh, Paul George, uh, no, not Paul George. It's similar to what the Celtics had. They had Isaiah and Horford. That okay. that that is no, <laughs> no, 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 no. What I'm no, saying. No, hey, no, shut it. Let me no. explain. Let him explain. Let him. Let, let, him, explain. let him explain. You have two stars. Talk about personally, hot take artistry. Personally, Melo hasn't showed me enough in the past two years. Because if he's as good as everybody says he is, mm-hmm. then playing with Kristaps Porzingis, your team shouldn't be one of the worst teams. In the league, that is true. If okay, but you're gonna, gonna, gonna no, 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 no. If no, he is seriously. as good as people are saying he yeah. is, he should be able to no, lead no, wait, wait, a team wait, no, no, no. to more but than twenty wins. Give me you a said, break. No, but, him to lead the team, though. No, 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 no but, but you said no, 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 but you said no. You said though that Paul George and Russell Westbrook is like it and Al Horford. No, they're just no two stars. That's it. Two superstars. Al Horford isn't a superstar. No, but I, Al Horford he was wasn't an all-star. No, uh, okay, no, no. fine. No, you fine. had. No, those are two top ten players in the league, Josh. I still don't think that if you take Melo out, I still think that OKC, it's like having freaking Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. That's different. It's still yes. not yes. enough. Yes. yes, that's different. That's it. And that's I don't different. think Well, that's Mello, a lot different than Al Horford and IT. Okay, Talk fine. I compare takes. it to the year that they had... Um, no, but what I'm saying is that OKC is in completely, completely is not as good as people think they're going to be. I really like the balance in their starting line. I no, do too. I don't think no, so. No, let me explain. Melo, really? No. Well, let me tell like no, 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 like, you. Let me finish. Let me finish. I like the balance in their starting lineup. I like if they're if they start Andre Roberts and Steven Adams, who are both defensive specialists. What's you mean, Roberson? Ro- Roberson, whatever. If they start both of them, those are two defensive specialists. Russell Westbrook is a good defender. Paul George is a great defender. They can mask the defensive inefficiencies of Melo. No, I'm not talking about the def- defensive issues of Melo. I'm talking about the offensive Yes, he's a guy ability. who can still average 20, 25 points a game. However, And now I he's going to be the number three. So... I don't think that adding Melo to that team increases their chance of beating Golden State. It I still think absolutely makes them better for what they gave up. They absolutely got better. I still think that they lose in four games. No, you're right. I'm not for it. I think that they probably could win a game. No. But no, I don't think that they challenge the Warriors either. The Warriors are still going to win. And I also don't think Houston does. But I think that they're the second best team in the West. And I agree with you. I don't think the Warriors really have a comp. I still put the Spurs above them. Not, nah. I don't like the Spurs roster. Hey, if LaMarcus Aldridge becomes a basketball player... Them. Yeah, like Maybe. I. Yeah, if Lamarcus Aldridge. <laughs> the Spurs are getting old. Lamarcus Aldridge decides yeah. that one day he wants to play basketball, then they might. No, but what I'm saying is that yeah. I think adding like a washed up mellow to an OKC. He's not team, washed up. It's listen. If people are isn't saying he like the same age as LeBron, like I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, like, but what I'm saying is that LeBron can play on a team by himself with a bunch of eggs and lead a team to a championship, but Melo can't. What's the difference? Well, I know, I'm not saying there's a difference. I don't Mello. think okay, that but he team doesn't need to be the leadership. leader. They have Russell I don't Westbrook. Think so. Melo's also played on bad teams. Yeah, they have Russell Westbrook. Like, well, so I, Melo's played on like one good team. No, I don't think that Melo is inflappable. At all. I'm just saying as a third option, he's not nothing. It's not adding minimum Dwayne Wade. It's a but little the issue bit better is than like that. you're adding three guys that 
just want to shoot. See, and I think that's another thing. I think that they'll be able to make that work, though, because A, Russell Westbrook averaged 10 assists right now. Oh, no, no. It's not him I'm worried about. No, let me finish. It's not those two. It's Pass- adding the third Passing person. to Andre Roberson. Then you're adding Paul George, who's always been kind of like LeBron. He's always been a willing passer for a superstar player. And then, no, he has been. Are and you kidding me? He flipped crap out on the field when he, he didn't did. get... Yes, he did. Because he wanted the he shot. Did. But he still passed the ball. Anyway, but he still passed it at that point. He didn't go for the ISO like Melo would probably do. He didn't go for the My ISO. My issue is I don't think Melo is going to be able to adjust Well, let me finish, to OKC. When he's, and I hate to make a big thing out of this, but when he's played on the Olympic teams and he's been surrounded by other superstar players, he's shown a little bit more willingness... To pass the ball than when he's played I'm with... Still... Also, it's not Melo's team. Melo's not the guy. They're not asking him to be the guy. I just He just needs think... to be a solid player. I mean, what, That's what he needs. They a... have Paul George it's, and Russell Westbrook. It's not okay. a nothing addition. However, that when could you be a have three him, all-star team. However, when you put them up against uh, the Golden State Warriors... Yes, they don't beat the Warriors. Clay Thompson has the advantage over Robertson. He's a defensive specialist, Man, so I think that Robertson Josh, can... I, f- I feel like you're misunderstanding the original point that I was trying to make. I said it's going to be Cavs Warriors. Like, that's what it's going to be. But to make it interesting, I want to think of the teams that can theoretically possibly beat the Warriors, and they're one of them. Personally, they're one of the only two teams, I think. I think that they have, I mean, if you wanted to pick, I would say that that's my Western Conference Finals pick if we're being way too early. And then moving to the Cavs, Cavs, and I'm going to be Celtics positive for a minute, Cavs without IT, if IT's health issues linger, which is a possibility. He could just get come back, get hurt again, come back, get well, hurt again. Well, he's not supposed to be. He's not expected to be back until January. No, and then he could come back, though, and then get hurt again. Like, it could be one of those kind of you know, yeah. ling- lingering, because hips are chronic. So, I don't know. Yes, I think that the Cavs without IT. Also, are, how long is Dwayne Wade and Derrick Rose really going to hold up? Exactly. So, I think that the Cavs without IT, and with the if they have a bad injury situation, which is very possible with them, that's a very vulnerable team to the Celtics. So I think that I wouldn't, if some certain if things play out a certain way, I could easily see the Celtics beating the Cavs in the Eastern Conference. I mean, Finals. Jake, you I think got, they're the I mean, only one who can. I mean, Jake, there's not another team in the East. No, can, you're right, and nobody can else can. Jake, but if I remember correctly, um, last year I believe I picked the Warriors to potentially lose due to an injury concern, and you said you can't predict something like yeah, that. Yeah, well, you can't. Si- yeah, you can't predict guys who I, you can't predict guys who never get injured. It's different if I'm saying, yeah, Derek's been injured before. Yeah, but ba- not often. But I think it's more reasonable to say, yeah, Derek Rose might get hurt though. That's something that could. Happen. Isaiah Thomas who's coming off a hip surgery. Might get and takes more hits than anybody might get hurt. Old ass Dwayne Wade might get hurt. That's a little different. That is a little. I don't know if you're allowed to say that on radio. You might have to dump that. (laughs) But that's a little bit different. So I'm just saying that if the because if one of those three guys who are ticking time bombs, personally speaking, without even injury, watching how Dwayne Wade played last year in the playoffs, offensively he was able to contribute. However, defensively he kind of instead of playing all up back all up on the defender and being able to stay with these guys when they were with the Heat in 2014. Um, I don't. He was not doing that against Avery Bradley, Marcus Smart, no, and Jalen No, and he Brown. wasn't. He wasn't even a big difference maker he could, offensively. He could not play defense against the. He Celtics. really wasn't even that big of a so, difference maker offensively. So, as I put this down, I go adding Dwayne Wade does not make the Celtics better than, um, the, does not make the Cavs ultimately better than the Celtics. Honestly, personally speaking, I think they're neck and neck, and the only reason that you take Cleveland over the Celtics is because of LeBron. 
That's the only yeah, reason. Yeah, no. Perfect health. The Cavs are the better team. I think neck and neck is a stretch. I don't think uh, it is. Derek Rose and which Kyrie. Way? Which way? No, no. So you're sitting here. you got to compare the teams. Derek Rose uh, as you see, current. Though, but you, see, you see, though, it's unfair to do that, though. Because if you just go team, if you just go position by position, then you get to LeBron. LeBron's like worth like two or three. Yeah. No. Exactly. No. That's I. The, no. I thing, agree. Is the point. I mean, if you haven't heard what they're doing, Tristan Thompson isn't starting. Yeah, they're starting Kevin Love. Which, by the way, which, I said on your show, Dave, was what? probably the best lineup to start Kevin Love at the center. And they're gonna start uh, Crowder at the four. Yeah, which I think is how actually long you, how long do you think that's gonna last for? A decent amount of time. I think that not long. Last a long time. Yeah, not long. I think so. I think Crowder and Kevin Love are both better players than Tristan Thompson. Well, the issue is in the end, you is put your Kevin best Love player. a better center? Does that than re- what does that even Thompson. mean in the NBA now, though? Tristan Thompson's a rebounder, which is kind of what you need. You don't really need him to be a scorer. Yeah, exactly. Like it really, the it issue really is if you put Ke- if you have you can have Crowder come off the bench. He's more than willing to. I mean, he was more than willing to when the Celtics signed. Yeah, Jordan but Hayward. he's probably better for How them as a power forward. Ever if you throw. You know, if you make Crowder their sixth man, he can literally play the two, potentially, the three and the four. He's the type of guy that could come off the bench for three positions, unlike Tristan Thompson, who can only come out for the five. Because he yeah. really is not, he can't be a power I like them playing this lineup, especially the issue, if, especially this is the best lineup for them when they play against the Warriors. So they might as well just play that. And the teams that they're actually concerned about beating. I mean, to be completely honest with you, you should probably throw Tristan Thompson out there because he matches up better than to against Zaza. Who cares about Zaza? Because you want Zaza grabbing 15 boards over Kevin Love? He won't grab 15 boards over He's not that good. But you put out Crowder. Crowder's a guy who conceivably can guard Draymond. Not saying that he can, but... In, no. It, conceivably, he can guard Draymond better than Kevin Love. Uh, yes. Yeah. He's a better defender. I hate the Boston. Oh, yeah. Because, right. Because, sorry. I forgot, sorry, sorry. I forgot that Crowder's not in the Celtics anymore, so he sucks now. I mean, I thought he sucked before, I mean, but now he's off the Celtics. Said, to be fair, that is a very Josh Percy opinion. <laughs> you didn't let me finish. Offensively, I think we can all say even with Crowder playing on the Celtics, he was probably the most inconsistent yeah, scorer no, you're of all, all time. Oh, was he? He was. You don't even the sit most here. inconsistent scorer yes. of all time of the Celtics. Yeah, no, no, was, no, no, was listen, what was just said. But he's. I'm just saying that I presented without comment. However, defensively, he was probably one of the best defensive players on the Celtics. I'm not yeah. saying he sucks, but I still don't think he can guard Draymond. No, but he can guard Draymond better than anybody on that team besides LeBron. I mean, Kevin Love matches up a little better. No, honestly. he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Kevin Love was has not was not been a good defender in any of the finals he's been. I in. mean, you really want him playing, you know, against the center, who's probably going to be. A couple, you know, a foot taller than him. Eh, you just kind of give, you, you just kind of give up the matchup at that point to have the versatility on the floor. Because I mean, if I, I mean, it sounds like you're doing this because Tristan Thompson, you know, crapped the bed in the in the. A little the bit, yeah. Put your best five players out on the floor. It's a little bit of that. I mean, yeah. to be fair, Kevin Love kind of crapped the bed after having the gr- a great uh, showing against the Celtics. Yeah, but really Kevin, didn't have uh, Kevin an Love option had a, to cover. Kevin Love him. had a couple of good games in the finals. Really, that entire team crapped the bed in the finals because they almost got swept. But what I'm saying is, I think that against Except for Kyrie, because Kyrie's the best the player Warriors, in the Warriors, I think you throw out that same roster as you did before because you want Crowder's defensive ability to come off the bench. I think you want that in the starting lineup to shut down their starters. I'm not worried about you finding a way to shut down Ian Clark or no, Iggy. No, you don't start him. You know when Kevin Durant gets LeBron three fouls on him, and you go, "Oh crap! Now what do we do?" I just I I but also you have Crowder on the floor. Not saying that Crowder can guard Durant, 
But what I'm saying but is, he I can think, guard Durant better than anybody else who's I on that roster. I think that if you're looking for a sixth man, you want somebody who has the ability to play as many positions as possible to yeah, get Derek, as many minutes. Yeah, Derek and Rose. No, Kyle Korver. No, no, you're dumb. Tristan you, Thompson. You you bring Damn, Crowder off the bench. No, you don't. Not in the finals. You want a guy who can match up against their starting lineup. Are you kidding me? You're not worried about the bench with the Warriors. It's the starting lineup you're worried about. You put out your five best players at that point, and their five best players are will at that point will be IT, D Wade, or J.R. Smith. I don't really care which one. LeBron, Crowder, and Kevin See, Love. I don't think because if you're thinking about it, the only reason you're putting Crowder out there to start is for his defense ability because yeah. you can't trust him to shoot. Yeah. I think exactly. that ke- against the shooting team, you need to be able to match their scores. Where that's why you throw yeah, Kevin he can, Love He's out also there. better scorer than Tristan. He can shoot better than Tristan Thompson. Uh, Tristan Thompson shoots within two feet of the basket. Yeah, exactly. Are you are you dishing out for a three to Tristan Thompson or Jay Crowder? Neither. Exactly. To be completely honest with you. No, exactly. you're not giving it to either of them to no. shoot exactly. a three. But at least you, at least I have to kind of respect Jay Crowder shooting a three. You know, Jake, this is a very authentic stadium experience because it's very loud in here. Yeah, that's what no, happens. No, I here. don't agree with starting quite Crowder over. <laughs> Your name is accurate. <laughs> I, I'm just. That's just my opinion. I think Crowder would be better coming off the bench as a six okay, man all year. Okay, well, I'm not really that passionate about about who the Cavs starting lineup is. You know, four or yeah, five months from now. Yeah. But anyway, with all that out of the way. Yo, Jake, can I plug my show real quick? It's that special time. No, it's that special time of day again when we. I already started the song. When we bid you all adieu, you've been listening to the stadium experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN. I've been here with Josh Percy, Dave Cusack, E-Love. We did our Job earlier with Job Gudrid, and we will be back next week, same time, Wednesday, 4 to 6 p.m. on 90.7 WXIN. Now, if you've been now if you've been enjoying the show and you want to and you maybe missed a part of it and you want to listen to the rest of it, don't be afraid to check out the official Stadium Experience SoundCloud upload. That's the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on SoundCloud or download it on the official Stadium Experience iTunes page. Just type in the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on iTunes and download the episode. Anyway, though, once again, you've been listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN. Special thanks to my entire polite panel here, and we will see you again next week, same time, same place.